Our scripture reading for the morning as printed in your bulletin is Joshua 5, verses 10 through 12. But to provide a little context for that verse, for that, those verses, if you would turn first to Exodus chapter 16, page 55 in your pew Bibles. Exodus 16, we'll read the first few verses. The setting is this. The people of Israel have been led by Moses out of Egypt, out of bondage, across the Red Sea. God has parted the waters, and now they are wandering their way to the Promised Land. It's a journey that will take 40 years. As they embark on this journey, as they look back on where they have been and where they are going, they are seized by a sense of fear, and fear turns to grumbling, and why didn't God just leave us in Egypt? Because now here in the wilderness, we're simply going to starve. Chapter 16, verse 1. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. That's the setting. That's the context. The provision of manna and quail every morning, every evening. And on the sixth day, enough for two days so they could observe, celebrate, rest in the Sabbath throughout their wilderness wanderings, and as they moved to cross the Jordan, and as they crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, the provision continued without fail. Morning and evening, bread from heaven. There was plenty. There was enough. Joshua chapter 5, verse 10. We've been reading through Joshua this summer, the promise to Joshua to be of good courage for you are never alone, the, alone the assistance of Rahab the harlot, the crossing of the Jordan requiring that they actually wade into the water, the erecting of the memorial of 12 stones, history matters, preparing themselves to move forward. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover 
You remember the Passover was the celebration of the exodus, the liberation from Egypt. They kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year, on the day after the Passover. Let's pray together. Loving God, for the stories of Scripture, the stories of a time gone by that can be so distant but yet are so alive and real and present, uh, these stories are about your people then, but they are also about us. Help us to continue to find our place in your ongoing story of relationship, relationship with your people. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you to all, to the many who have emailed and called and put their arm around and said, Jim, we're so sorry. We're so sorry to learn of the death of your mom. What I need to say is my mom's life was gifted, was gifted in many ways. And one of the elements of her life that she treasured that she simply treasured was the embrace of the Lakeshore congregation. It had been a few years since she was well enough to, and strong enough to travel, but when she could come to Oakland, she loved to come to church. She loved to attend the adult Bible school class. She loved to go out to lunch with some of the folks. She loved the embrace of the Lakeshore people and the cards and the prayers that continued to come her way. In June, when I was, for all intents and purposes, saying my goodbyes, some of her last words to me were, tell your people thank you. Tell your people thank you for the cards, the letters, the prayers. There are many ways to remember my mom's life, but certainly the sense, the fact that she lived with a sense of gratitude for God's many gifts, with a sense of enoughness. Throughout her life, wherever she was, growing up in Wisconsin in a little town, a sense of it is enough. Married to my dad and living first in Milwaukee and having him having to go to Louisiana to put diesel engines into ships during World War II. Even then, there was a sense of enough. And when they left Wisconsin to come west to western Colorado, 1949, in the oil boom, 
so he could put pumps and diesels on the oil line, pumping the oil from a muddy little town in the sagebrush flats of Colorado, Rangeley, Colorado, into Salt Lake City. There was a sense of enoughness. And moving to Salt Lake City and back, even when my dad spent days, weeks on the pipeline, a sense of enoughness. Living three miles out of a little town, living in an oil camp, six houses. Six houses, three miles out of town, she never drove making it clear that I needed to have that driver's license when I was 16. <laughs> a sense of enoughness. Moving to Salt Lake City, to Boise, Idaho, not wanting to plant roots too firmly, so living in mobile homes. A sense of enoughness. Retiring to a little town of Bayfield, Colorado, near my sister Beth, but near enough to live independently, a sense of enoughness. And when my dad died in 1991, as we remembered him, certainly the unwhispered concern was, how will mom make it? Well, the answer over these last 19 years is pretty darn well, thank you. A sense of enoughness. The people of Israel, as they experienced God and God's liberation from bondage, from slavery in Egypt, they lived with a sense of enoughness as God led them through trial and tribulation, through struggle and doubt, through the wilderness to the promised land. And that story is filled with escapades of wondering, escapades of lessons, hard lessons. But always the provision, the provision of the manna and the quail, enough for that day. And the understanding that they should not try to claim so much manna for two days ahead, for if they tried to grasp it, it would spoil or rot become rancid. The promise was only enough for the day. And then the next day, the promise would be fulfilled again. They lived with a sense of enoughness, but there came a time. There came a time in their life where they needed to move beyond this spoon-fed provision. They needed to progress in their understanding of themselves. They needed to progress in their relationship with God. And God led them out of the wilderness, and God led them across the Jordan, and God led them to set up 12 stones to remember that God is in the business of setting people free. And God led them to the Passover celebration. And on the day after the Passover, I love that line, on the day after the Passover, the manna ceased, and the people 
ate the crops of the land. There was God's provision, but that provision changed. Instead of manna raining from heaven, the people had to become partners, partners with God, eating crops that were grown from the land, crops that they harvested. There is this promise. There is this promise throughout Scripture that God provides. Provides not always what we want, but what we need. God does not necessarily provide for three years from now, but for this day, give us this day our daily bread. And the invitation to God's people is to live in gratitude and to live with a sense of enoughness. But as we move forward, that understanding enoughness needs to change. It's not just God raining manna on us. It's we human beings, we supposed friends of God, recognizing that we need to be partners. And we need to do our part in harvesting, in appropriating the bounty of creation. That appropriation takes many forms and many hands. I'm not sure the appropriation is go and plant your zucchini and live on the zucchini alone. It might be broader than that. But still, we participate. We're partners in God's provision. We are partners, not just beneficiaries of God's enoughness. On the day after the Passover, this morning we will celebrate communion. The cup and the bread, hearkening back over history to God's liberation, to Jesus' reinterpretation of that liberation, and the promise of enoughness. The earliest Christians called this meal the Eucharist. It means thanksgiving. This meal was intended to be a celebration of God's enoughness. God's enoughness in the physical sense, God's enoughness in the spiritual sense. We have the record of Jesus taking the bread, breaking it, blessing it, Blessing, the Greek word is Eucharist, thanksgiving. But tomorrow morning, and even this afternoon, the juice will be back in the refrigerator. How will we then live? Will we live desperately? Will we live anxiously? Or will we live with that continuing sense of enoughness? It comes from being a partner with God. Rod Romney, who pastored this church from 
roughly 1962 to 1980. In July 6th, 1984, after he had, excuse me, July 6th, 1981, after he had moved from Lakeshore, preached a sermon at Seattle on living eucharistically. Two weeks ago, I visited Madeline, or excuse me, Virginia Van Pelt, and she gave me this sermon. She said, I've had this in my files. I really don't know what to do with it, and I took it. It's a sermon Rod had mailed to her. A sermon on living eucharistically. Living as people who know they are blessed, living with the spirit of thanksgiving in all things. Listen in. Early in the sermon, Rod says, all we have is a, lift from, is a gift from God. We cannot draw our next breath of air without God. Moreover, Moreover, there is not a living and growing thing which could have life apart from God. What then is wrong with our world that evil stocks the land with such force? What can we do to redirect the course of history into righteous, productive ways? And his answer is to live eucharistically, to live with a sense of thanksgiving, to live with a sense of enoughness, to live knowing that perhaps manna no longer falls from heaven, but like the people of Israel on the day after Passover, we are partners with God in appropriating the resources of creation. There is a challenge in that, Rod notes, because though there is provision and though there is enough, that provision and enough comes with questions, struggles, needs, hurts, hopes, sicknesses, deaths, losses. He tells the story of a man, a young man from Arizona. Man, young man was in considerable mental agony because his infant daughter was having a, a serious locomotive problem. She was having a hard time learning to walk. It was discovered that one of her hip joints was not properly growing. An operation was planned and apprehension mounted in the young man and his wife. Several days before the child's operation, the man wrote in his journal, it would be so easy to see the Lord's Prayer as being greatly out of touch with what really happens to me. I am tempted to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, why aren't you down here on earth? doing something about my present difficulty. Who cares if your name is hallowed or whether or not your kingdom comes when what concerns us most is what life is really made of, our big and little and hurts? Yes, I am tempted to pray that way and it would be easy, but instead I want to give thanks for my little daughter and the joy she has brought into our home. I want to listen for the voice of God's Spirit that I might be shown again what I really have to be thankful for and I am going to pray this way. Our Father, in spite of our present difficulty, 
You are still in heaven and the world is still ordered. May my response hallow your name. The coming of your kingdom is more important than my own difficulty, so may I not hinder its coming by my worry. Cause this event to be an opening to fill for your will, to fill your, the earth with your will, which I can see as clearly as if I were in heaven. I must recognize that you still provide the necessities of life. I have bread enough. May this event help me to realize how important it is to secure your forgiveness and to forgive those who have sinned against me. And may this not be an occasion for temptation to lose faith or to respond in anger. Deliver me from any evil response or action in this difficulty that would only make the problem worse. The overriding and all-important fact of life is that to you belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, and that this event is caught up in that fact. Amen. The little girl's operation went well, and we are reminded of the invitation on the day after the Passover, in the afternoon after communion, to live as partners with God, to live eucharistically, to use well and wisely the gifts of creation, to use those gifts well and wisely so there is enough for generations to come. Brian McLaren. Brian McLaren is a writer, an author, a leader of a movement called the Emergent Church. And the Emergent Church is a, speaks, I think, very well to younger people, 20, 30. It's a movement that picks up many of their values. In the interview, he was asked to reflect on the affluence of our culture. Some people say they're affluent because God has blessed them. White people used to say they were the masters and not the slaves because God had blessed them. That logic is superficial. That's a heartless perspective. At the very least, we should understand that God doesn't bless some to the exclusion of others, but rather God blesses some for the benefit of all. So being blessed isn't simply a privilege, it's a responsibility. We do well to celebrate God's enoughness. We do well to live eucharistically. We do not do well to say that somehow it's about us and our goodness in our privilege, always the question comes, are we using God's enoughness responsibly for the good of all? I give thanks for my mom's 89 years. I give thanks for her sense of enoughness. 
wherever she was, she gave thanks. I would like to learn and continue to learn that lesson, that lesson of living Eucharistically, and sometimes praying, God, where are you? But more often praying, God, even though I do not see you clearly, you are here. Help me, help us to sense your presence, your leading, your blessing. And help us to use that blessing, not in an arrogant way, not hoarding it for ourselves, but sharing and giving. We live as God's people. We live as God's people on the day after the Passover. We live as God's people on the afternoon after communion, when the juice is back in the refrigerator. Amen. <laughs>